If you don't know that much about quantum computing, there's no need to feel bad. You are far from alone. In November of 2019, Jack Hittery, who is affiliated with Google and is the author of Quantum Computing, an Applied Approach, said that he believed only 800 people in the world have the expertise needed to truly understand how to apply quantum algorithms. Some of those people so work at SEEK, a quantum computing company headquartered in Elmsford, New York, with facilities in London and Naples, Italy. SEEK's approach to building a quantum computer is quite unique and offers a roadmap for scalable, application-based quantum computers, which can be leveraged to solve some of the world's greatest challenges. This is a series of interviews published by that company. In this episode, SEEK Creative Director Frederick Karlstrom speaks to CTO and co-founder Oleg Muhanov about SEEK's technology, practical innovation, and how you lead teams successfully. If you want to know more about SEEK and the work they do to make computers for the quantum age, you can visit them at SEEK.com. Now the conversation with CTO and co-founder Oleg Muhanov. So tell me, Oleg, what do you what do you do here at Seek all day? I'm kidding. What is your role here? So my role at Seek is uh, Chief Technology Officer or CTO, and I also co-founded the the company. So what what does a CTO do? CTO is uh, directing the technology development effort and uh, sort of essentially choosing what we should work on on all aspects of the system starting from quantum layer, SFQ layer, uh, interface between them, system integration, FAP, so making technical decision and kind of aiming the development to, to the target, to the right target. And I feel that this is very critical role, which uh, I take very seriously uh, because company can make or break depending on what technical decision is made. I can give you an example of some uh, project that we worked on, on some government funding. And from very beginning, it was clear, again, it was not decided by us, but it was clear that even if project is uh, widely successful, the result will not be competitive. So therefore, the money that invested in this project will be wasted. So we would like to avoid that. In fact, this is what happened. So we would like to avoid that. We don't want to get into this trap to go for some something attractive, but at the end of the day, which will not bring us to the goal. So therefore, aiming to what eventually you would like to build is very important. Otherwise, hard work will be wasted because you succeed and then you discover that that is not what people want or this is not what uh, will be actually working or be competitive. So therefore, aiming to the right goal, technical goal is important. How do you learn how to be a good aimer? That takes experience. Experience and uh, broad view of technology. That's why I have to be humble to understand that I don't know everything. So therefore, connection and talking to different people from different fields is important in order to assess different options, different sort of ways where we need to aim and where we need to go is very important. So that's what I do. And you also need to balance uh, risks of development and potential cost of development and uh, whether this particular goal is achievable. Otherwise, you can aim too high and then you spell all the money and you will never achieve. 
or you aim too low and you achieve the goal, but it won't be competitive. So you need to kind of balance two different things. And that requires a lot of knowledge in the field. And uh, your only way to gain this knowledge is to be abreast with the latest uh, developments and uh, talk to different people and see what's, uh, what's happening. And how do you get people to, to collaborate? Because obviously there's a tremendous amount of competition in any field. How do you get people to sort of tell you and share with you? Well, people in our field, they again, you never ask questions which uh, would make them uncomfortable because you're really not interested in their particular sort of way of, of what they do. You're interested in more sort of uh, general uh, sort of items, more sort of technology items. So, for example, uh, we always hear about some competitive technologies. So you ask people about their technology, not specific recipes, but their technology and what they think about it, whether what's the advantage, what is the drawback, and then you compare. And this, then you see whether it's applicable to what we do or not. So it's, again, it's not trying to get their solution. No, it's just seeing what technologies are out there and what is really useful for us, what is not. So when you hire, because obviously we're growing and you're hiring people, and mm -hmm. what do you look for in a, in a person, in a good engineer? Uh, the chemistry of the team is very important. So in the, it's like in a sports team. You don't have only sort of forwards, right? You need defenders, you need all kinds of emploi, and goalie, and so on and so forth, right? Like example of hockey. You have center, you have left wing, right wing, and two defenders. So similarly in technical team, you need a very innovative person, but unfortunately, very innovative person really, uh, they constantly innovate. And if you only constantly innovate, you will never get to something practical at the end. So you need another type of person who takes innovation and then refine it to something practical and useful, which is works. So you need both type of people. So you need people who forward looking and people who kind of making it wider. It's similar like you build a road in a forest. You have some first people who lock trunks, right? The, the trees, they fall. And then another people coming behind who cut branches, uh, make a shorter uh, trunks, load in a truck, moving away, and then there are other people who are building the foundation of the road and then finally paved the road, right? So similarly here, in technology development, you need to have some somebody at the upfront, right, who are making new inventions and innovation, and then people who can actually make it work. That's interesting, like dreamers and doers. Right, exactly. You have to have both. And so then in your team, in the chemistry, you also have to be quite, you have to be okay mm -hmm. with that there's one person who isn't maybe so innovative, but is really good at doing things and mm -hmm. making him or her feel good about it. And then you have someone over here who's more innovative. And I feel like often in companies, you, you hire someone and you kind of expect them to do all of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, that's, that's never happened. Again, I, I've been in the field, in the industry for a long time, and I just see it, so that some people can innovate, but unfortunately they're making mistakes. So 
they have brilliant idea. Then when they start implementing, then you see that they sometimes make very uh, sort of simple mistakes. And at the end of the day, circuit do not work. On other hand, you have a person who is very accurate, somewhat conservative, but he is very reliable in implementing sort of what you want him to implement or her to implement. And at the end, you have product, you have something that is working. So combining both of them, it's never, never happens. So it's, some people try to go forward, some people try to drill in to the bottom to take out all the box. And it's never the same person, it's, it's, a, it's a team. It's a so, teamwork work. I think it's interesting. It leads me to a question about, about sort of cutting-edge innovation, you know, mm -hmm. deep tech innovation. Quantum is obviously part of that. I mean, I come from advertising, and, and mm -hmm. at one point when digital happened, they, they would hire a person, and they would mm -hmm. call them usually like, you know, the digital, chief digital officer. And the idea was that this person was going to come in and fix it and make everything digital. And, and it obviously doesn't work. Let's imagine that you're, a, that you're a, I don't know, General Electric or you're a big corporation. And you mm -hmm. want to get into quantum, you want to get into this type of really high-end mm -hmm. technical innovation. How do you build a team? Where do you start? Do you start with the innovative person? Do you start with the, with the, the drill-down person? How do you kind of get into to technology this time? How we started, for example, example of us. So we had a team who was experienced in building part of the system that we envision for quantum computing. Because quantum computer, it's a complex system which consists of uh, quantum layer where the qubits are. So imagine that this is a, a tiny chip with the quantum devices, which sits at the bottom of the dilution refrigerator at very low temperature. Uh, but in order to build system, you need to have ability to control it, to access to it, right? To read out data, to send some control signals in order to manipulate uh, quantum states of this uh, quantum chip. And uh, then you start to think how to implement that and you either go to a conventional way that all people, uh, our competitors do, like Google and IBM, when they try to manipulate qubits from room temperature. So for them, they need to hire people who build room temperature uh, sort of electronics or, or know how to assemble it rather and then they should know how to connect signals from room temperature over the meters of cables to the qubit. So they need people who do system integration and cabling and uh, trying to uh, minimize noise, crosstalk, uh, filter, attenuate, and all of that. And then you need people who take tiny signal and take it out to, to room temperature. So we modify that. So we introduce a, a new type of uh, a system which is cryogenic. Consequently, we need people who, who know how to do that. So therefore, when you envision system which you would like to build, you immediately see different parts of the system, different section of the system, different competencies of the system. And therefore, that dictates you uh, the team composition. You need quantum engineers who knows how to handle qubits, design, fabricate, and measure. Uh, you need people who can develop control electronics, 
also design fabricated measure. You need to people who can put them together in a way that one technology does not spoil another one. And uh, you need to then integrate everything in the cryostat. So you need people who understand how to uh, do this integration in the way that you don't destroy the sort of the, the performance. It means you have to shield, you have to filter, you have to make sure that your ground is correct, it does not have ground loops, stuff like that. And finally, uh, you need control software in order to operate the system. Otherwise, you can build the system, but it won't be useful yeah, because yeah. nobody can use it, right? Nobody can exploit it. So this is all different jobs, different aspects on, um, on uh, building system, which are different skill sets, uh, which you need to put together. Uh, but despite the different skill set, they all should work together, right? So they should understand what each other uh, is doing and uh, make it work as an as a orchestra. It's an orchestra, right? It's like uh, you have a, a people playing piano or trombone or, or violin, and uh, when they all play together, you have beautiful music, otherwise... So you're the conductor? Yeah, you can say, say that, yeah. So our approach with the application-specific mm -hmm. quantum computer as opposed to a more general use uh, talk a little bit about that. So our when we look at the field, the first mm -hmm. tendency is to build a computer. Talk like a little bit about that. Normally you have in, um, in conventional sort of computing. So you build computer, then somebody writes software and run it. Another guy comes, writes another software, run it, and everybody happy. Uh, but uh, what happened in quantum computing that this model is not, uh, again, it's being pursued by big, big guys like IBM, Google, Honeywell, and so on so forth, INQ. Uh, but uh, still there is a, a gap between algorithm and application that people would like to implement and hardware. So there is a gap, sort of. The hardware slowly evolving to make more and more complex arrays more and more qubits integrated together and they work in more and more sort of uh, with high and high performance with high fidelity and th there are algorithms that uh, initially require millions of qubits but they slowly coming down to require less and less qubits but the gap between what can be done and what needs to be done is still significant so therefore, there is a question how to bridge the gap and who will bridge it first. Who will bridge it, therefore, who will develop a, a computer who, which can produce something useful, right? Who can solve not just toy problem, but real useful program for humanity, right? For, for a particular task. So once you say for a particular task, then the next step is to say, well, maybe we can identify a particular task which would be useful, but implementable in our near term. Once you said that, 
then you realize that if we focus on one sort of particular task which would be useful in near term, let's not try to make a universal computer which is good for everything. Let's not to create, not, not to build a, a sort of a rocket if you want to go to sort of next city, right? So you don't have to fly around the earth to get to the next city. So you can take a shorter, shorter route. So therefore, application-specific means that you build a hardware That's awesome. for, and, and that which is minimalistic, like but still fulfill the algorithm of interest, right? So you build your co-design algorithm and hardware in order to make it work. And this hardware will be uh, sort of minimalistic, therefore it can be near-term, but it still will be useful. So that's the approach. That's awesome. And, and does that mimic some other development? Like obviously it mimics the way that uh, classical computing was born with you know, the Enigma and code breakers and the wall. Yeah, it somewhat uh, resembles uh, some of the early development in computing. Uh, for example, the code-breaking uh, computer that was done in World War II, which was built specifically to break code, right? Or in a later, which we usually trying to compare ourselves, is an example of NVIDIA, which started their business of development of specific cars, specific uh, sort of chips, called GPU, but approach was so useful that it's proven to be extendable for much wider applications. So they started from very narrow task and successfully achieved it and generated revenue. And then they start to expand this approach, GPU approach, graphical processing unit approach, to build a more general purpose computing engine. Now, GPU accelerators are used in supercomputers. They're used everywhere. So that's uh, how we envision the goal of application-specific computer or hardware to solve the client problem in the nearest term. That would demonstrate that quantum computer is able to, to solve real problems and be useful. And that would be a tremendous achievement. Once it's achieved, then we can expand our approach to other problems. Fortunately, our architecture allows easy modification of the hardware to more general type of problems. The name problems of that exact class where uh, application-specific computer was aimed first, but then for broader type of task. The reason is because we, our uh, sort of uh, architecture is modular. So we have uh, quantum chips and control chips integrated together, so that can be easily modified. And the rest of the system is the same. It's a digital system. So it's known that it's difficult to modify analog system because they're very specific. But uh, the word digital means programmability right there. So you can easily modify digital architecture from one task to another. Let me ask you this. So the name SEEK, Scalable Energy Efficient Quantum Computing, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, application-specific uh, in normal terms mean that you have some 
high volume task where you can make uh, uh, multiple copies and they will be useful. People actually need uh, multiple copies of specialized hardware uh, for a specific task. When we mean application specific, we, we meant a little bit something different. Because in our case, application specific task is achieving the nearest term, essentially extending the arm to grab the first application as soon as possible with the minimalistic hardware. And this means that in our case, we will drop some hardware which is not required to, to achieve this goal. So that, that is our interpretation of application specific. Once this is achieved, we can expand the functionality of our hardware by adding more of the same units or similar units together. And uh, this uh, means scalability, not in the number of, uh, of the same application-specific units, but rather scalability in the complexity of the system. So you start with, let's say, 1,000 qubit application-specific machine, and then you can quickly scale it to 10,000 qubit machine by uh, replicating the modules that you refined for in your application-specific quest. The very uh, architecture that we are developing is meant for that, because we wouldn't start the company if our technology wouldn't be naturally scalable. The reason is that in um, normal, uh, let's say, in conventional approaches that being pursued by our competitors, people build highly complicated, cumbersome system where qubit is controlled from outside through a very uh, complex farm of cables. And if you would like to modify something, you need to not just modify a chip or your qubit chip, you make it a little bit different, but you need to also to modify associated infrastructure. If you look at the photo of the modern system, let's say Google system, you wouldn't see even quantum chip there because it's, it's like uh, less than one-tenth of the percent there. And everything is cabling, attenuators, circulators, amplifiers, and all of that. So that's where the cost is in complexity. That's where rigidity of the system. In our case, we eliminating this complexity from the system because our qubit controlled by another chip our qubit chip controlled by another chip, which is totally in our control. So in order for us, for example, to modify the, uh, the configuration of the system, we need just to reprint two different chips. So that, that's how easy it is to go from one uh, specific task to another task, and, or make it larger complexity. We just need to yield larger chip or put more modules together. So that's how scalability is attained and therefore other applications will be taken care of. If you succeed with this, mm -hmm. and your team succeeds with this in the company, well, what are the benefits in your mind? Like what are the benefits to the world, to, to you personally maybe, but like you know, what, what are the benefits if we figure this out? Again, there are a lot of uh, 
Reason material on what would be the benefits and uh, what would be this wonderful tasks that a quantum computer will be able to solve. There are a lot of promises in uh, chemistry and pharmaceutical industry and optimization tasks and artificial intelligence, machine learning and all of that. Uh, we don't know yet which one will kind of explode first, right? We, uh, where the breakthrough will occur. Potentially, uh, a lot of uh, system will be altered and changed. I personally think that uh, the biological system and chemistry could be the first to work out, the first to really benefit from quantum computer. When you look at sort of the recent events with COVID, with all these uh, different uh, wonders of uh, vaccine development and really look further to see how uh, biological system operates and uh, how protein, for example, folds and how little uh, humanity knows about that and how crude instruments are in order to uh, not just compute, even to understand what's happening and what benefits are. So if we build a system which would help to solve some of these problems, it will be tremendous benefits. It will be another revolution. So it, it will be uh, new drugs, new materials, new sort of elements uh, of everyday life developed. Quantum computer will not uh, solve, uh, will not, uh, again, we, we shouldn't uh, kind of think that if you have quantum computer, we don't need any other computers, right? So you're not going to do word processing with quantum computer. You don't have to, right? When it's you work, look it at would, it works wonderfully mm -hmm. now. But if you think what is not done and what tasks are which nature, cannot be, simply cannot be physics, computed now biology, by classical means, you will be amazed how many, what's the horizon now, how, how many tasks are still unsolved and cannot, like, there is no any way to solve them. And that's what hope to achieve what, what cannot be done now in many different fields. Of all the things that had to happen for us to sit here, things in nature, discoveries in quantum physics, discoveries in biology, chemistry, mm -hmm. computer science, certainly the invent of the transistor, the invention of all these things. How do you relate to that in, in your own world? Like, do you see yourself as as sort of one part in this long chain? Do you sort of see yourself you standing on the shoulders of giants? Do you feel like you're part of this this long tradition of, of human exploration? Oh, definitely. We uh, we feel that we. Uh... We are partly privileged to be uh, living in the wonderful time when you really can make uh, a big difference. And that is not happening all the time. So if you look at the, for example, development of computers, there always were steps and then slow development. It's similar to what I described about this innovation and sort of make it work. So that happens not just in particular team, in very narrow in, uh, development, it, it happens always. So you have some breakthrough innovation and everybody rush there and kind of make it useful and uh, people, humanity started to use it, right? Build computers. But the first computers were crude, oh, very few people can use it, but they were first. They were actually changed the, the world. 
people kind of were able to use it widely much later, but this step happened uh, in particular time. So we view that now is the time for the step. Now is, is something happens that may not be available today in a usable form, but further down the road it will be usable and the world and the world will be different. Like we, for example, now, you cannot compare what we have now as far as the computing power and 50 years ago, right? Or, or not 50 years, even longer than like before invention of computer. So this stepwise uh, events occur only even by the way you not say it, rarely in the history. The, the and then it's kind of development curve, and then step again, and then you're slowly you know, this, climbing up. So I believe that we, as a step, so quantum computing will be that step in, in, in the development of the technology, right? development of computing. Kind of and we're fortunate to live through it, and we hope to, to make it. Does that make you feel, even by the way you say it, you know, you're, you're basically placing it on a map over mm -hmm. some human development. You're, you know, it's discovering fire, starting to communicate, starting to you know, agriculture. Um, you know what I mean? Like this huge, mm -hmm. massive kind of shift in, in humanity. Do you think of it that way? And from a, yeah, from I th a th if you think of it from a hundred thousand year perspective kind of thing? I think we we I are think, in I think we we are uh, in this moment sort of uh, of uh, paradigm sort of shift or whatever inflection paradigm point. shift or whatever inflection in point technology development in the we cannot say that hey we are we cannot say that hey we are only we can do that working on the whole field a lot of bright uh, minds working on this but we also feel uh, uh, but we also feel uh, our solution. That the right uh, one, our solution which can deliver is the right one. The, the which near can term deliver real computer. The the near so term we for real the, computer. For the big uh, game. We would like so to be here for the it. for the big uh, game uh, because we, we don't like think to really that do our, If that would be all solved, uh, because we don't think know how to do it, we would just other people. Yeah, if, if, if that would be all solved uh, and really people know how to do it, we would just sit and wait until they achieve it. If we don't build uh, the roads really to, do it, uh, to somewhere if you don't know where right exactly one. we're going, uh, we might uh, disappear, right? So it's uh, if you have a society or humanity or whatever, or tribe or group of people who are sit in one room and say, well, we have food, we have water for now. Probably this will be our future expecting that water always will be from the faucet. And so why, why should we worry about it? Why should we go outside? It's fine here. But in reality, something might happen and water can disappear and uh, this the room, will everybody will die, right? So the people should always uh, go forward, otherwise they will stagnate and die out, right? So if you stop, we will stagnate. What do you say to if those we stagnate, we will die out. Worried about the so we have to, we have to move. You know, maybe specifically around That's AI, the point. Uh, you know, the AI people might gonna, disagree you know, with that, but I think that's an existential kind of uh, desire for people to... Why, why for example, uh, uh, even humanity populate the entire Earth, right? They go where nobody lived, and they, they could have stayed in one particular country and never leave it. 
but most likely they would kill each other there and we would extinct long time ago. So same here. You have to move, you have to develop, otherwise people start to, you know, every little problem becomes a big one and they start to kill each other. What do you say to those who are worried about the technology development and you know, maybe specifically around AI, you know, that the AI somehow is going to, you know, become intelligent and kill us? And what do you, yeah, that's always, again, that's always the worry that, again, uh, if you know Luddits or Luddits or what, what's in... Uh, Luddits, yeah, yeah. Uh, they destroyed machines because they took jobs, right, from this uh, viewing industry. Uh, so you have to be, of course, ethical and responsible how you develop, uh, because you well, can you, develop you th atomic bomb and start kind of throwing it everywhere. Kind of look, but in but reality, that I, you know, I that's a, what kept peace for all these mm -hmm. years. Uh, right? We might is not be around if atomic weapons. That sounds strange, but that's what kept peace for all these years and continues to do that. Otherwise, it would be war today. Whose responsibility do you think it is to regulate, kind of look, let's say that I, you know, I develop a, a car, mm -hmm. uh, I invent the car. Is it Ford or his, is it his responsibility? Yeah, it, first of all, if you, if someone develop a, a new, it's, uh, yeah, it, first of all, if, of you, if someone develops very excited, he loves it, he thinks this is a great exciting technology. Of course, he the loves person it because who he invented very exciting loves it. He thinks whatever great someone invents and, uh, is the best in the world. He loves right? it because he invented it. This is typically doing something wrong. <laughs> whatever not, not as someone invents as is the best in the world. Right? So, therefore, this person should uh, be responsible for not, not as excited development. And uh, so, therefore, that everybody should be responsible for of that development and make sure that everybody understands the sequences the nuclear of that power. development right that's so, a scientist uh, again who uh, bringing this example of the users military the and government power that this is very dangerous it, that was scientists if you start kind of who explain to, to the people the users military and eventually governments eventually that this is very dangerous disappear if you start kind of throwing to, to the people Otherwise, you can kill uh, a lot you, of you them actually uh, the humanity will disappear to understand the consequences unless they enforce properly. You, you so wouldn't expect uh, the actual users of the people who develop to understand to all consequences and unless they inform properly. Will be. So this is and then the rest uh, will take uh, uh, a, a duty account of that will of be the people who developing to explain other others what the consequences will be uh, of it and, and then uh, the rest like some of take the movies into, hopefully will uh, take it into account and use it. And, uh, what Ben Affleck was playing. Uh, yeah, that, that will be the, the challenge, so, of course, some, to, because companies hired people who want to gain cryogenic advantage. <laughs> computer, uh, which can predict future. Uh, like in some and of, of course, the they were interested to predict uh, stock market. Right? I remember and so this, uh, In order for nobody else to build the same machine, they decided to kill payback him. at the end of the so development. Some, and, uh, but since he built a machine which can predict future, he understood that that's what's going to happen to him, right? And took some precautions. So that it's always challenge and game, uh, but it's up to the developer to take full responsibility for their baby and uh, make sure that people are aware of what they're going to face with and what's uh, going to happen 
if they do it incorrectly or in unethically. Thanks for listening. For more of these conversations, go to wherever you get your podcasts, search Conversations for the Quantum Age, and hit subscribe. You can learn more about Seek and the work they do by going to seek.com. That's S-E-E-Q-C dot com. This conversation was recorded at Seek's headquarters in Elmsford, New York. The series is produced by Seek creative director Frederick Hallstrom, who also did the interview. It was edited and sound engineered by Badia Shihab. The title music was composed by Anders Okergren, using sounds recorded at the Seek chip foundry in Elmsford, New York. My name is Tyler McLean. See you next time.